Hello, sunshines. Welcome to Hello, Hello Sunshine. Sunshine. I'm Jana. I'm Keith, and that intro was a little bit more "Hey guys" than usual. Sorry that I'm excited about today's topic. I know you're. You are excited about today's I'm topic. Very eager. And you, you have like a wonderful guest on. I, I mean, do. I mean, we have a wonderful guest, but I yeah. mean, she's in your social bubble. Yes. So one of my best friends from college, a former roommate, the incomparable Bailey Reitenauer, <laughs> is oh my gosh, what an introduction <laughs> <laughs> is here today to uh, be our expert on the topic that we are discussing, which is Keith, the mental health system in America. Yep. We're, we're getting the big guns, the big kahuna, as they say. <laughs> this is not just uh, this is not our typical topics on, oh, how is mental health depicted in movies? Oh, what's this person's opinion on things? No, we're talking about, well, still opinion, some facts, I guess. Just more, more we're talking about overall the institution yeah. of mental health. And today is going to be a little bit serious but more serious along the lines that we're going to be talking about some cold hard facts some statistics um and and discussing the reality of what is actually happening in real time in the mental health universe uh which i think a lot of people don't always talk about uh we always talk about if you're suffering if you're dealing with something go get help but what is the help and how do you get the help if you don't know where to start. And then what if the help that you do find isn't that great and you think that that's it? What do you do? So those are the kind of things that we're going to be touching upon today. I just want to say as a reminder, as I say each and every time, we, Jenna and I, are not mental health professionals. No, we are not. So let's begin. First, I would like to bring up some of those statistics I was talking about. This is from a page on uh, the CDC, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention website. Uh, these are some mental health statistics for the United States. Morbidity rates. There is 11.2% of adults aged 18 and over with regular feelings of worry, nervousness, or anxiety. The percentage of adults aged 18 and over with regular feelings of depression is 47 the number of visits to physician offices with mental, behavioral, and neurodevelopmental disorders as the primary diagnosis is 56.8 million people. Emergency department visits. Number of visits to emergency departments with mental health disorders, behavioral, and neurodevelopmental as the primary diagnosis is 4.9 million. And mortality. The number of suicide deaths, 47,511. And suicide deaths per 100,000 population is 14.4. And uh, all of this data is from 2019, 2018, 2016, but for the most part is, I think, pretty accurate. I'm sure numbers are a bit different now since COVID. I'm sure oh, the for sure, yeah. have risen. But that's just to give you a sense of mental health is, a, is an issue. It's a problem. It's a growing problem, and it ain't going away. It's not going away. I mean, if anything, it's becoming more prevalent. Mm -hmm. Another thing I say a lot on this show is a big thing we want to do is just start discussion on the topic. Right. And I feel that lately, I mean, let's even talk about the time of when we're recording this episode with Simone Biles. Oh, Mental yes. health is becoming such a 
talked about subject because of her stepping down in the Olympics trying to take care of herself. And it's interesting because when I first read about this, when I saw the articles about her stepping back, they didn't say it was because of mental health. They said it was because she had an injury, which I find interesting because it's easier, unfortunately, to believe something that's more tangible, like her like dislocating a shoulder or, or breaking her knee. But turns out it wasn't an injury. It was her needing to focus on, on her mental health, which is just as valid as a sports injury. So I found that kind of interesting that that was the first knee-jerk headline. And now at this point, a day or two after that, it is open like, wow, she's taking off her mental health and the doctors are keeping an eye on her and all that jazz. And is there wee-woo, wee-woo, like, this is breaking news, but guess what? This is what everyone's, so many people are dealing with. Right. Like, think about the amount of pressure that certain people are under, and especially the Olympics. And, and I say that, like, not to, like, undermine what no. Simone Biles is going through. It's just, like, it's being treated as breaking news when really, is it? Because this is what's been going on. Right. It's either grossly under talked about or it's like talked about so much like it's like never heard of before uh which really bothers me because it's like either nobody cares or people care almost like too much which is inconsistent and i think very unfair to those people where it's like they don't need to already they already probably feel pretty separate from everybody else because being mentally ill can be a very isolating thing now you're on an international platform where everybody can make a comment, say something, you know, ridicule, judge. Like, Simone Biles is Simone Biles, but she's still a person. She's still a human. She's not bionic. We all have feelings, and we need to stop acting like even celebrities or, you know, people, people suffer from stuff all the time. No one is impervious to life. One thing I want to bring up quickly or just refer back to again is that doctors are checking up on Simone Biles and that's something that's very that's pretty much the focus of our episode today yes her mental health is being acknowledged by the medical community right and it's interesting because there are unfortunately general practitioners out there I'm not saying everybody but there are some people that don't believe in psychiatry or psychology and which is just like, what? <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Did we forget about Sigmund Freud? Did we, did we forget about that? I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, there are some people that just, if you can't touch it and you can't see it, it's not real. And as unfortunate as it is that numbers are increasing in terms of people having mental health issues, it's like a double-edged sword. Like, I'm happy, not happy that people are suffering, but I'm happy that it's becoming more out there for people to see, like, oh, this there is something wrong, and I can go get help, and I shouldn't feel ashamed about that because it's not, like, strep throat or it's not a broken leg or, you know, something you can measure in a test tube. Right. So with that being said, I would like to talk a little bit about personal experiences within the health community, like general health, like going to, you know, your doctor for a checkup versus going to, if you have the experience, going to a psychiatrist, a psychologist, um, 
and just kind of talk about your experiences. Were they positive when you first realized you needed help? Uh, did you go to your regular doctor? Did you go to a psychiatrist? Like, what did what did you do to begin your journey? I just went to a therapist first. I didn't go to a psychiatrist. I just wanted to gauge how I was mentally because at the time, a couple years ago, I was just a mess and wanted to sort things out. And as I've discussed in the show before, oh, I found out I had anxiety and depression. So a little over a year after that, maybe a year and a half later, it got to a point where I feel like the therapy wasn't going to do enough for me. I was very open to the idea of being prescribed medication. I was doing a lot of research on my own before I went in to go through with it, and I was aware that a family member got their medication from our family's general practitioner, so that's who I went to. Mm. And fortunately, for my end, I mean, it was a positive experience. He's someone who... Seemed, I mean, yeah, I mean, it was he was very quick in and out because he's a general practitioner. He's doing a million things at once. Right. But I just have knowledge that this is an issue that he's aware of. Right. He knows how much of an issue it could be. Right. So like you, I, you felt like you were heard. Exactly, yeah. Okay. I could have just said that, but I was just, you it's know, like, stumbled no. <laughs> along. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> what are words? Um, no, well, I'm glad that you had a positive experience because, funny story, I do not. <laughs> I have the opposite. Um, well, when I first started, similar to Keith, I had gone to therapy first. And then as things like my anxieties and my depression had worsened, that's when the conversation came up of maybe we should consider medication too. And... Um, the kind of therapy that I was going to is is CBT, which stands for Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, Talk Therapy. And um, the combination of both CBT and medication is like bingo. Like Way to go. Really good. <laughs> There's, It's totally fine if you don't want to do medication and you're going to therapy. But I, I really recommend always doing therapy because therapy is good for everyone. And just for the audience, I, I could see how medication is harder because... I know in my experience, when the first time I stepped into Rite Aid to pick up my prescription, I didn't know if I felt a defeat or not, but it was just like, well, this is how it is now. Not defeat, but it was just, it was basically, okay, this is how it is now, I guess. Well, uh, let me ask you this, Keith. What do you, what do you do when you have a headache? I take medicine. What kind of medicine? I take a Tylenol or Ibuprofen. So... If you're sad and your body isn't producing the chemicals you need to balance your mood, don't you think it's quite similar to grabbing a medication for a headache? Yes, it makes a lot of sense. See, it's not as different as everyone thinks. But Unless, I get what you mean, though. There is a big stigma. And that, that was initially. That. Now I'm just like used to it. Like, like my happy pills. <laughs> like I'm like light joking around with the pharmacist who remembered like a, a humorous interaction from last time. Like, so hey, just girl, like, crazy's back. <laughs> Again, that's a winded way of saying that, yeah, I'm comfortable going to the pharmacist, picking up my prescription for the pills that 
I need to keep me balanced at this point in time. And you don't have to be medicated forever. Everyone's different. No, everybody is different. And um, I know for me, like I didn't start medication until a few years into uh, going to therapy. Um, And that's just because my symptoms were getting worse. So obviously it was not just a psychological issue. It was a physical issue. And that's essentially what those medications are. Um, SSRIs, it's like chemicals in our bodies, like, you know, dopamine, serotonin, epinephrine, uh, cortisol. These are all hormones that are directly related to the nervous system and make or break someone's mental health. Sometimes your body doesn't produce enough or your body is overproducing. And then you have some kind of physical or psychological reaction. And that's what those medicines are for. They replace the shizzle nizzle you ain't got. And just like, you know, Advil is an anti-inflammatory solves your headaches or your aches and pains. It's it's very similar. But think people just think like, oh God, I'm on Prozac. I belong in a sanatorium. And no, you don't. It's just like taking a vitamin. It balances you. It should balance you. If it doesn't balance you, you should go back to the doctor and talk to them. But I remember I had started out not going to my GP, but I started out by going right to a psychiatrist recommended to me from my therapist. And because uh, a lot of the time psychiatrists are out of network, so they are not covered by insurance and are very expensive. So we said to that uh, lovely psychiatrist, hey, girl, unless you can give us like a coupon or a discount, I don't think we can continue seeing you. And the solution to that was to hand the prescription over to my general practitioner for them to refill and to keep track of. And I did that for a couple of years but because I'm on those medications, obviously there's a big, you know, like arrow on my file. So every time I go to the doctor, I have to go through a questionnaire. And this questionnaire, I mean, just chef's kiss of a list, a survey of questions that no one will ever want to actually tell the truth which I I just find hysterical. Recently, actually, I went to the doctor just for like a general checkup and I got blood work done and we were, I was just there to discuss the blood work. The nurse comes in and she's doing, you know, the blood pressure, the temperature, the weight, the height, the whatever. And obviously, because I have that kind of, she has mental health issues on my file, legally as a mandated reporter, she's supposed to ask me, the following question. In the last two weeks, have you felt depressed, hopeless, um, suicidal, what have you? And depending on your answer, it could go one of two ways. <laughs> Either you say no, and they go, okay, cool, check, next question. Or you say yes, and then I have experienced uh, people handing me a pamphlet on meditation and yoga. Um, I've had you know, these, these people who don't really know me, like my psychiatrist and my therapist, and I know that they're just doing their jobs, but at times it feels very insensitive because it's like, if I genuinely said, which this, this time I did say yes. And then she just moved on. And so I started laughing because I was uncomfortable. (laughs) I was like, I was like, oh my God. And she kind of gave, like, gave me a look. And I was like, I just think it's funny. These 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 questionnaires are just dumb to me because how would anybody telling a stranger 
that doesn't know me, doesn't know my history, I'm going to tell them, yeah, I've been feeling down. When you're somebody who lives with something like clinical depression, it's a chronic issue. It's an everyday thing. Some days are better than others. So it's it's kind of complicated. It's a complicated answer. Like, I can't just be like, yeah, no, everything's great. Because it's not always great. Like, sometimes, yeah, you have low lows. In you know, and two weeks is a pretty long expanse of time. So, you know, not every day is going to be, you know, peaches and cream. So... I just, I just started cracking up and I just had a conversation with her. I was like, I, I really don't see how people would tell the truth on these questionnaires because of the line of questioning and how it's very just, it's empty. It's very impersonal. And she was like, well, you should tell the truth so that you can get the proper help you need. Remember, I said yes. And then she moved on. So what does that say? And that, I feel like that happens. Wow. That sounds like um so much. proper help to me. <sighs> Honestly, though, but I, I know personally, yes, my general practitioner has prescribed medication for me, but would I go to them for those issues? No. I think it's great because it's accessible to a lot of people. It, it's covered by insurance. And if you have a good doctor that listens and you feel heard and respected, absolutely go to your GP. There's no problem with that. It's way more accessible and financially for people. Um Personally, I am in a position where I can go to a psychiatrist and deal with my medications through her. And I've gone through a couple and my most recent one is amazing. I love her. Um, And she takes a lot of different things into consideration, a lot of different physical, mental, outside sources of my stress and matches the best medication. And so far, the cocktail she's given me is working pretty good. I think, uh, I don't know what <laughs> my friends and family think, but I think I'm pretty good. So really quick, I just thought it'd be fun if I did a little questionnaire with you. Oh boy. This is an example from a website, uh, pcpcc.org. It is a patient health questionnaire, a PHQ-9. So what this looks like is it says at the top, Over the last two weeks, how often have you been bothered by any of the following problems? There are nine questions, and you can answer from a range of zero to three. Zero is not at all. One is several days. Two is more than half the days. And three is nearly every day. So let's play a little game, and let's see how you're doing, Keith. Oh, boy. This is is exciting. Question one. Oh, wow. (laughs) Little, so this is the last two weeks, so use, use, use your noodle. Okay, gotcha. use your noggin. Little interest or pleasure in doing things. Not at all, several days, more than half the days, or nearly every day. Nearly every day. Nearly every day, okay. Two. And you said I have interest in things. Little, no, little interest or pleasure in doing things. Oh, I have things. little, okay, then zero. Okay. I'm so on the other end of the spectrum. You're, you're like, you're good. I'm good. On, you have I'm, you have all the pleasure. I'm good it. on that end. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Two, have you felt down, depressed, or hopeless? Not at all. Several days, more than half the days, nearly every day. One. One. Okay. I appreciate your honesty. Three, trouble falling or staying asleep or sleeping too much? Not at all. Several days, more than half, nearly every day. I'll just say zero. Uh, it's only like one night. Okay. In the last two weeks? Okay. That, no, I'll give you that. Uh, number four, feeling tired or having little energy? 
I'd say one. Okay. Number five, poor appetite or overeating. Zero. Feeling bad about yourself or that you are a failure or have let yourself or your family down. That's a fun one. One. (laughs) (laughs) Ayo. Number seven, trouble concentrating on things such as reading the newspaper or watching TV. Mm, I'm going to say zero is probably a safe bet. Reasonable bet here. Number eight, moving or speaking so slowly that other people could have noticed or the opposite, being so fidgety or restless that you have been moving around a lot more than usual. Zero. Zero. And then nine is thoughts that you would be better off dead or of hurting yourself in some way. Zero. Zero. Okay. So then we add up a total score and then depending on the number that you have falls on a grid, which for you would be one, two, three. You scored a three. Now it says if you checked off any problems, how difficult have these problems made it for you to do your work, take care of things at home, or get along with other people? Not difficult at all, somewhat difficult, very difficult, or extremely difficult? I would say not very difficult. I've been still able to do what needs to be done throughout the day. So not difficult at all, or somewhat difficult? Is there an, could I say in between? No, there's only four options. Well, I've been going through everything smoothly, so. So not at all. Not at all. Okay. So that is an example of a questionnaire that you might be asked when you go to the doctor. For me personally, I've never had one that's like this in depth. Uh, I mean, well, no, that's a lie. I have had ones that are this in depth, but for the most part, when you're going for something that's not related to your mental health issues, it's usually like, do you want to kill yourself? Are you sad? Okay, good. No, good. All right, let's talk about, you know, that fungus on your toe. Like, that is more what it's like. Um, and and, And I just keep thinking, what if someone was genuinely having suicidal thoughts, was not sleeping, depressed, anxious, felt alone? Here is this this like nurse who's not even giving you eye contact. I'm not and again, I'm not saying that this is every nurse, every doctor, every situation, but I feel like it's pretty common because I've experienced it myself. Just kind of looking at a clipboard, just, you know, checking things off. Why in hell would like a 16-year-old in that position say, "Yes, like I wouldn't feel comfortable sharing something as intimate as that?" I definitely don't see 16-year-old Keith answering, if I did feel that way or realized I felt that way. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be honest. I wasn't like as... it's like all the trouble. All the trouble, and I wasn't as open about things at that point. And also, it's like making a parade, this like huge spectacle of something that is so intimate and so private and so embarrassing for some people. It's like, let's just blow the top off and get all these people involved and... I mean, obviously, if someone genuinely is, like, going to hurt themselves, absolutely, they should be going to the hospital or getting, you know, immediate care. Something that I, uh, when I was in high school, you had the guidance counselors. And guidance counselors help prepare you for college and help you when you're having an issue with a teacher, changing your schedule, things like that. But are they the people that I would go to, like, 16-year-old Jana? Would I go there if I were in a crisis? Hell no. No, thank you. Because it's very similar. It's like, you know, these adults have a responsibility to report something that's concerning, 
But if you're not having necessarily like suicidal thoughts, like there's a difference between having the thoughts and having a plan to do something. But they're kind of treated the same. So as soon as you mention anything like that, you're like an ambulance is being called. Your mom's being, you're going to the hospital. And I just think about kids like myself who are really struggling. And if I had said something like that, how that shouldn't be the case every time. Because I do believe that there are some situations that aren't like emergencies, but they definitely need someone to talk to and they shouldn't feel like they can't go there because it's going to become this like big shit show. But obviously on this podcast, we like to look at the positive side of things. So I would like to provide um, this questionnaire uh, sheet that I found that I think might be really helpful for people. Um, It's from a website called familydoctor.org. And it's how to talk to your family doctor about mental health and well-being. Um, This link will be put onto our social medias for you to check out if you are interested uh, in using it. But it's kind of like this guide that you can fill out before you go to the doctor to kind of bring up the conversation. Um, So (coughs) I will read it aloud. Talking to your family doctor about your mental health can be tough. Use this form as a way to get the conversation started. Just print it out and complete it prior to your appointment with your family doctor. Take it to the appointment and use it to talk about how you're feeling. So there's a couple different prompts um, of things that might apply to you. So like if you're experiencing physical symptoms, what are those symptoms? Describe them. Um, And it gives examples of what those symptoms might be, like trouble sleeping, lack of appetite. Um, There's also I'm experiencing emotional symptoms, long periods of sadness or hopelessness or guilt or anger. Um, I'm experiencing mental symptoms like remembering, concentrating, making decisions, uh, behavioral problems, missing work, withdrawing from people, abusing alcohol and drugs, uh, recent changes in your life, traumatic events in your past, any other physical or mental conditions that could contribute to your issues, and, um, and what medications you're currently taking, and then writing down, I have the following questions. So you don't have to go to the doctor blind. Like, this is great. I wish I had this. Oh, my God. Especially if you don't know what to say. I mean, when I got prescribed a year ago, I remember I usually don't have white coat syndrome, but I went in with white coat syndrome, unsure of what to say or how to start the conversation. Yeah, because the doctor's scary. You don't go there to say, like, hey, doc, let's talk about the Yanks. Like, no, you go because there's a problem. Hopefully... I, I pray and hope that if you are struggling, that you have a doctor or somebody that you know in your life um, in the medical profession that respects you, understands you, and will listen. And using something like this is a great stepping stone into going in the right direction. And if they don't react the best way, then it's time to maybe go to another doctor because not every doctor is awful. Not every nurse is awful. That's not the intention of this conversation. It's just to bring to light that sometimes the bedside manner isn't that great, but that doesn't mean that help isn't out there. You just, it's it's a constant ebb and flow. Sometimes the journey, it's not linear. It's, it's not straightforward. Sometimes there's setbacks. I know I've had some pretty crappy psychiatrists, but eventually I found a great one. And I think this is probably the most, uh, maybe 
uh, not to my friends and family, but uh, the most balanced I've been mentally in a really long time. Do I still have ups and downs? Yes. Is it a perfect system? No. And here to talk about our system is, drum roll please, Bailey Reitenauer. Hello, Bailey. Thank you for being so patient. Hi. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for having me. Such a delight. (laughs) So the reason that I suggested having you as uh, our guest is because you work in a mental health setting. And I was wondering, well, first, I'd like you to reintroduce yourself and (laughs) talk about where exactly you work, what exactly you do. All right. Well, um, once again, my name's Bailey. You know, 24. I'm a Taurus. Um, (laughs) I drive. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, Well, like Jana said, yes, I do work in the mental health field. Right now, I've been in it for two years. It's not my main career, but it was just kind of a way for me to gain experience into healthcare in general. But I currently work at a psych rehab home which is a, a fancy way. Most people would probably know it as a group home instead. Um, but I work for a company called Resources for Human Development. They work with a wide variety of populations, such as um, intellectual and developmental disabilities, behavioral health, uh, women and children, veterans, like a wide, wide variety of people. Um, so I work on the behavioral health side. So like I said, group home, my home specifically Um, houses three. We call them consumers, but you can also call them clients, residents, whatever. Our main term that we use are consumers. Um, So three people live in it, my house, and our facility is meant to be more short-term. And the kind of clientele that I work with, it's meant to be maybe they were recently hospitalized or they're coming from a facility that you needed more dependent care, things like that. And they're trying to transition to a spot where they maybe can get that. um, Maybe it's not as dependent of a facility or they could be living on their own. It really depends. So that's a little bit of my background. Like I said, I've been working there for almost two years now and I've, I've seen a lot. (laughs) Well, that's, that's a, First of all, that sounds pretty juicy that you've seen a lot. Uh, I think it's important also to mention that, Bailey, as your actual career, you are trying to become a uh, speech language pathologist. Yes, I am. So you are very qualified to be a part of this conversation. I just wanted to add that as a side <laughs> Well, thank you. It's, it's actually um, interesting that we're talking about this because I recently had... Um, As part of my program, we have to go through interprofessional education. So it's us like future SLPs, speech language pathologists, also collaborating with athletic trainers and occupational therapists. Um, And we have, it's only three a semester, but one of our topics this semester was mental health. And I am more than willing to share some of the resources that I found from that too, because it's very applicable to what we're actually talking about today. That would be amazing. Thank you so much. But let's get into the T. <laughs> I would love to know your personal opinion, like the things that you have witnessed mm-hmm. and your opinions on those things, obviously respecting HIPAA laws and well, of course. not, of course. you know, not giving anybody's personal information or medical history, mm-hmm. but you were against there. the law, there. kids. It's Pay attention. It's law. against the law. It's not good. It's no good. <laughs> All right. Well, 
Oh boy, where where to start? <laughs> um, so the main population that I work, I mean, I work with a variety of diagnoses and things like that, but the main forms that I see, um, schizophrenia type or like schizoaffective, things like that, uh, borderline personality disorder, bipolar disorder, anxiety. Um, yeah, uh, that's mainly the clientele that like we've, at least that I've had experience with so far. And, um, like I said, it's all people that are looking to get to more of a level of independence where they may not have to rely so much on direct staff or, um, like people kind of looking after them in a way. So when I first started, I was in way over my head. I wanted to quit one of my very first days because I felt like I couldn't do it. I felt like I didn't have the capability of helping these people because I was fresh out of college. I didn't know what was going on. It wasn't what I wanted to, it wasn't what I was expecting. And I felt like I couldn't make a difference. And I feel like that's a lot of people feel that way when they start off in this field. I mean, I'll, I'll get more into it because two years can really do a lot in this field. Mental health can be very exhausting. It's especially when you may be not, you may not have had like the education to work with this population. Like I, I, yeah, I have a degree in communication sciences and disorders, but however, I have a minor in psych. So that stood out to the people who hired me because a lot of people who work with these individuals don't always have a psych background. Um, exactly. That is such a good point to bring up is that <laughs> yeah. there yeah. are like, it's like in schools, like if you want to be a paraprofessional, which is somebody that works with special needs children, you don't necessarily need to have a degree or any experience in special education and you're like but then why would oh, you exactly. take off like a stranger from the street to work with a child that has significant needs it's it's the same thing it's mm -hmm. like how how does this how how why why how yeah, exactly exactly i mean there's a lot of things like you can you definitely learn as you go it's like some of these things can't be taught in a school a lot of like especially health care positions are like that you can't just learn everything from a textbook or in class like you have to have the hands-on experience however with what I've seen like hopefully didn't digress too much but I've seen a lot of things that are definitely especially when you're dealing with schizophrenia and borderline personality disorder well, a lot of people just aren't familiar with those in general but you have to, it takes a lot of skill to figure out what's an effect of the diagnosis and kind of what's, what's behavioral here. Because some of the guys that I work with, like they are known to, especially when a new person comes on and I definitely felt the effects when I did like, oh, new staff, what can I get away with? Because, and that's very, very typical. Um, I feel like a lot of people are going to be like, why are you talking this way about these kinds of people? But that's another point I'll get into in a little bit. But yeah, manipulation is definitely something you have to watch out for. What kinds of behaviors can be managed? How can we manage them? My official title, I guess I should have started with that. Um, I'm what's known as a wellness recovery coach. So working with these individuals, establishing treatment plans, goals, things like that. We actually moved from their 
we don't call them case managers anymore, but that's essentially what they were like. Their in-house lead would create treatment plans, but it would be very like so-and-so will. They will do this by a certain date. But now we've moved into more of like, well, no, we're going to collaborate with that person on what they actually want to work on, which is that's something that all healthcare professionals should look into. It can't, you need to take the patient or the client into consideration when you're making goals for them. Um, Like what are their goals? What do they want out of? Well, exactly, exactly. Like all you can do is encourage and give the best professional guidance you can. And that's just, that's what we call the humanistic approach to therapy. You're right. You are correct. Gold star, Jana. Thank you. I'm learning Um, to become a music therapist myself. (laughs) Um, Wow, you got a gold star. I'm a good noodle. I'm a good noodle. Check the mail later. It'll it'll be there. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so yeah, behaviors, manipulation, things like that. A lot of what goes into our job is making sure that the consumers are keeping themselves safe so that they're not in a position where they are going to harm themselves or harm other people. Making sure like checking in with them day to day, like, okay, establishing a schedule. What are we going to do today? Um, And COVID definitely did not help. (laughs) It was, it was really rough, especially when you have facilities like this, where, especially when it's staff transporting People like the only time we could leave the house was to go to appointments or for necessities. Um, Other than that, it was a lot of staying in the house and that takes a toll on mental health. So imagine someone with schizophrenia who may be experiencing hallucinations, delusions, psychosis, and coop them up in a house for a year. Imagine what that does. It's like you already have those positive symptoms as what like those things are, but then you just exacerbate it by adding like those outside factors that you don't really have control over. It's very difficult. And when you have consumers who maybe not want to, you can, and you can suggest activities to them until you're blue in the face. If they don't want to do it, they don't have to, because at the end of the day, they're adults and they can make their own decisions. But there is a fine line to that. Just because, yes, they are adults. They are capable of making their own decisions. However, they live, they are part of a program and there are certain requirements to living in a program. And it's very, it can get very frustrating because you're trying, me, you're trying to do your job and help these people get to a point where they can be on their own or function in a way that's better for them. And it's like, okay, you're going to complain about all these things, but you're not going to do anything about it. And that can get very, very frustrating, especially when you're also dealing with someone who may have trouble seeing the world in a different view, maybe experiencing a little or expressing, I should say, a little bit of narcissism, doesn't really care about the feelings of others. It's, yeah, it takes a toll on you and it feels, it can lead to a lot of feelings like you're not doing anything, you're not making a difference. It's, I feel like I'm talking in circles. Um, no, I mean, you you bring up a really valid point, which is, do you think that due to the high stress of your job, do you feel like that affects the way you do your job? Like, and how obviously you're dealing with a population of people that have significant issues and you're not always equipped to handle the certain situations. Do you feel that because of that, 
not like you're intentionally doing it, but do you feel like you unconsciously like treat clients or consumers a certain way because of like kind of like the the pressure pot you're put in? Oh, 100%. Burnout is a real thing, especially in the mental health field. It's very, very easy to get burnt out. And it's also like, it's funny that you bring that up because in one of my classes, we were just recently talking about kind of like these unconscious biases that we might have and stigmas um, working with like the mental health or like intellectual disabilities, like all different populations like that kind of having to check yourself and being like, "Mm, is that, do I really, should I really be thinking like that? And where did that come from? Why am I thinking that way? Can, what can I do to fix it? But I'll admit there are times where I'll get a little bit of an attitude. Like if you're asking me, especially I can think of an example, like a while ago, we had a resident who would come up to me and ask me maybe like the same thing five times, like within the, within like an hour or two. And I get to a point where it's like, I already answered you. And that's also a point too. like, you have to remember what's part of the diagnosis and what's part of them. Like, is this, especially with schizophrenia, you need to separate like the positive behaviors to like maybe some cognitive stuff going on too. Like is memory affected is like even their communication. I'm also on this kick because we had a couple of um, mental health related cases this week in class. So it's very, <laughs> it's very interesting how it's all kind of like tying together. But going back, yes, it's very hard to let yourself go. And sometimes it's hard to remain professional um, because boundaries are also a thing. And you need to make sure those boundaries in place, because at the end of the day, you're not their friend, your staff, right? And you're there to help them. Um, however, if there are things that are out of our scope, we can rely on other people. Like a lot of our guys that come in have a therapy team in place. So they may have like their, their therapists come and visit like once or twice a week and talk with them or they'll get phone calls. Their psych doctor will visit. And that's another thing too, kind of going, kind of tying back to what you guys were talking about, like the psychiatrist versus the like the PCP or anything like that. Some I say it definitely depends on the doctor because we have experience with one psych doctor in particular in particular who will come but he's very like in and out. He'll go, hold, see if everything's okay, he's out the door. Right. So it's like and a lot of our consumers don't really like that because it's who would? Like well exactly because it's like okay, you're just you're checking me, you're making sure that like I'm taking my meds. And okay, now you're, you're going to go, you might make a med change if I say something, but it's honestly, that's very rare sometimes. Yeah. Like yeah. we've had consumers say to us, I like, I'm really experiencing this. I feel like I need a stronger dose. And do they always get it? No. Right. And that, it's right. very hard because that's also part of what we try to teach is advocate for yourself because make, make yourself hurt. And it's, uh, yeah, it can get kind of taxing that way too. Um, when you have other professionals that just come in, kind of like you were saying, just check off a box and move on. Right. And I and I hate and I hope, well, I hate that that's kind of what's happening mm-hmm. and is happening. I hope that it gets better because just because somebody has schizophrenia or BPD or bipolar or anything, that does not devalue them as a human being. And that does not mean that we don't treat every human with 
the respect that they deserve, especially if they're trying to advocate for themselves and take care of themselves. Like, I, I think that's such an important thing to talk about because unfortunately that is kind of what doctors are like. And I don't even think that they realize that they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, no, you're right. I think it's very like they themselves, I guess, are on some kind of time loop, I guess. And they're just like, all right, I'm going to do do this, do that, do that, check, 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 done, done, done. But they don't think about like how crummy that might make someone feel. And that can make you feel even more alone. Exactly. Yeah, things like that. Would, Because uh, I've seen consumers who actually do care about moving on and wanting to do better for themselves. But I've also seen the opposite. People getting lost in the sauce, kind of. Lost in the sauce. Um, and and maybe I'm kind of throwing this question out there, maybe just as a rhetorical, just like some food for thought. What do you do with someone who is in denial about their diagnosis and doesn't see anything wrong with how they present themselves? What do you do? It's Keith, would you like to take a crack? All I was going to say is that's a solid rhetorical. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that's, that's your response. <laughs> because guess what? Those people exist. And it's they do. very, very hard working with them sometimes because you it's clear that you can see signs and symptoms, but they either don't want to admit it to themselves or truly believe that, no, there, there's nothing wrong with me. I don't need to work on anything, especially um, right now. I've, like I said, HIPAA, we're not revealing anything, but just a little background. Um, one consumer that I've been working with, he complains about a lot of things. And it kind of goes back to my point of saying, well, okay, if you're going to complain about it, then do something. Don't just sit here and complain to me because you're not, at that point, you're not going to get sympathy from me. All I can do is encourage and make suggestions. But if you're not going to listen, then okay, then, and I feel like it's kind of, it goes the same for a lot of people. Like, don't complain about something if you're not going to do anything about it. A good example, like losing weight, especially with him. He had just gotten his picture for his license and he asked me, do I look fat? And I looked at him and I said, I'm not going to answer that. Cause then he answered it himself and he commented on his weight. And I said, okay, then go do something about it. Don't sit here and make these comments. If you're unhappy, then do something. Now, do you, do you feel like, sorry to interrupt you, but no, you're good. Do you feel like facilities like this facility are actually genuinely helping people? That's honestly, that's a great question. Um, I feel like it's a very, very fine line because the facility itself could be great, but at the end of the day, I feel like it's who's working there. And with that, we're going to leave you on a cliffhanger. But don't worry. That said, we will be continuing this conversation with Bailey. There was just so much good insight that she shared with us in our conversation with her that we just had to split this up in two episodes rather than choosing what stays and what goes. So we're looking forward to sharing the rest of that with you in our conversation about the mental health system in America. But as always, as we close off each episode, we want to give you a few valuable resources that you could use beyond Hello Sunshine. For instance, 
If you're looking for a therapist, you can go to Psychology Today at therapists.psychologytoday.com slash RMS. If you're in a time of crisis, you can reach the crisis text line by texting R-E-A-S-O-N Reason to 741-741. It's free, confidential, and 24-7. And finally, if you or anyone you know is really in a time of need, we encourage you to go to the Suicide Prevention Lifeline at suicidepreventionlifeline.org. In addition to all of this, if you want to hear more from Jana and I, Feel free to follow us on our social media pages on both Facebook and Instagram. Just, hey, check out what we're doing, what episodes we're posting, yada, yada, yada. You'll love it. Anywho, again, Jan and I cannot wait to share what else we discussed with Bailey. Hopefully it'll really give you insight as to what's going on in the mental health system in America. So until then, things may not always be easy, but always try to stay on the bright side. Adios. Wow, that was weird not saying that with Jana. <laughs>